Time to talk tennis now. Leo Schlink joins us on the line. Leo, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. We wake up to the news this morning, Leo, that Nick Kyrgios is being sued, but not by a player, not by an official, but this time by a fan. And this was all from the Wimbledon final, where he accused someone of having 700 drinks and needed to be evicted. Yeah, Polish lawyer by the name of uh, Anna Palis. Um, and uh, so she's uh, launched uh, this action. So interesting to see where it goes. Um, Andrew might have an idea about this one. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, quite um, the moment at the, the uh, Wimbledon final when he went to the umpire and said, you know, she's the one who's had 700 drinks. Uh, she's talking all the time, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was uh, an eventful moment in uh, an eventful final. Well, it is a bit interesting, Leo. I suppose firstly it'll be under British defamation laws, so uh, I struggle with Australian law, let alone try to work out someone else's. So uh, that's one thing, but uh, normally truth is a defence uh, to a defamation action. So uh, she said I had two drinks, a Pims and a Rosé, and he said 700, so we're 698 <laughs> apart. <laughs> if we're going to try and settle it. Um, but a Pims at Wimbledon, I would have thought uh, that was well in order. You'd be in favour of that. Absolutely, especially on a hot day, and it was a hot day <laughs> that day. So, uh, yeah, it's a good way to settle the nerves. And um, the, the, the most fascinating thing for me is that she was a actually there to support him. Um, <laughs> so uh, just one of those uh, bizarre things that happens. But, um, look, it's over the years it's happened plenty of times in tennis matches where um, not just spectators but uh, very close to home in the media box. There have been times there when there are people, um, not uh, saying this is Anna Palis at all, but... Um, there have been over the years um, certain people with media credentials, put it that way, who would probably sleep very well that night, put it that way. <laughs> OK, well, uh, it is interesting, actually. I'm sort of somewhat surprised over the years that a referee or an umpire hasn't taken on a player because some of the things said to them are extremely damaging to their reputation and they're published worldwide. I suppose it's just an unwritten law that if you're going to be a, uh, an umpire or a referee, you stay away from that sort of... Uh, that sort of action. It's really difficult uh, for the umpires because in the case of the ATP, um, the, the players and uh, the, the tournament directors run it as a co-op and essentially the, you know, the players generate the income um, in concert with the tournament directors and from that uh, the, the umpires are hired and, and paid. So effectively they are, they are working for the tour, the players um, provide the entertainment etc. But yeah, there's been some really interesting characters over the years. There was an American umpire called uh, Norm Christ, and um, bald-headed guy who looked and, and tough, and he, by all accounts, he was tough. He'd spent a lot of time in the in the military, the U.S. military, and I can't think of a player who backchatted him. Oh. Um, the, the word got out that you don't mess with this guy, and uh, for that reason, he had a lot of um, respect. But over the years, you know, there've been some umpires and some to this day who seem to inflame some of the players. And, um, you know, we've got uh, Richard Ings, who was a very mm. good Australian umpire, Skippy, um, who um, he was one of the first to actually stand up to McEnroe. And uh, he built a very strong reputation around that. And um, when people saw him standing up to the bully that was John McEnroe uh, in his prime, there was a lot of respect that flowed to Richard Ings as a result of that. Now, the, uh, the lady in question, Anna Paulus, has said that anything, that, any proceeds that she gets will all be given to charity. She did say, as Nick pointed out, this is the Wimbledon final, and she pointed out it is the Wimbledon final. Millions of people have seen it now. There's been articles written about it. It's gone all over the world. So it probably has caused her a lot of embarrassment, I would imagine. 
Yeah, particularly since she was tempor temporarily ejected from the match mm. as well. Um, she was allowed to go back in there, and um, her defence also says that um, she was flustered that day and red in the face because of, of the weather, and it was a hot day. Um, and uh, she appears to be a, a very fair-skinned person. So um, she's, I think, 32, 33-year-old, something like that. Um, so um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this one plays out. But, uh, yeah, Nick's got a couple of legal issues ongoing at the moment, one at home and uh, one, at, it seems, in London. And uh, on the court, Leo, I suppose on the men's side of things, uh, looking towards the US Open, which is uh, coming very uh, quickly upon us, uh, Alexander Zerev appears to be out again. That ankle injury he suffered in France uh, at the French Open hasn't healed to the extent necessary to allow him play, so that's a disappointment. And uh, even though there's some movement in uh, the US in relation to unvaccinated overseas uh, citizens coming to the US. It doesn't appear as if uh, that movement is going to be in time for Novak Djokovic, or if it is, it's got to move pretty quickly. Um, that's exactly right. So um, the draws on Friday, um, the US Open will want to know. Um, it could be a, a situation similar to Australia where uh, Novak Djokovic um, was involved in all these considerations around the draw, but it'll be a much tidier uh, business if uh, they can get some kind of clarity around that and um, um, he hasn't been able to enter the States. Um, he wasn't allowed to go into Canada either because of their rules. And even though there have been some kind of relaxation recently around unvaccinated people travelling into the States, it does now appear that um, time is running out for Novak Djokovic. And as you said, uh, Alexander Zerev, unfortunately, uh, the surgery he had on his right ankle after that horrible incident at the French Open, uh, that's going to sideline him. So if you factor in that the probability that Djokovic won't be there, Roger Federer won't be there, Zverev won't be there. Um, that leaves uh, Medvedev, for me, as a, a clear-cut favourite with some kind of doubt over Rafa. He's played only one match since he uh, had to bow it at Wimbledon um, after um, uh, he, when he was due to play uh, Nick Kyrgios. So um, this this is a wide-open US Open right now. Mm. Oh, when I say we, Leo, Tab still has Novak Djokovic there as the favourite at $2.50, and that's hardly moved for a long time now. Medvedev, $3.25. So you've got to think if Djokovic comes out, Medvedev's going to shorten somewhat. Carlos Alcaraz is now on the next line of betting, $4.50. Rafa Nadal, $6.00. And Nick Kyrgios, $7.50. They're, they're all the players in single figures. It's really interesting. Um, talking about Nick Kyrgios, um, there was a poll out the other day, an uh, online poll, as to who people thought would win the US Open. And Nick Kyrgios uh, nominated uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Um, it was really interesting. He's, um, I think he might have used a star avatar next to his name. Um, so, uh, yeah, Alcaraz, a lot of people thought he, he might win the, the French Open the way that he was going leading in. Um, and there's nothing to suggest that either a, a guy like him or, or Yannick Sinner uh, might not contend really deeply here. And with the uncertainty over Djokovic, etc., and Nadal... Um, I think it's just wide open. This this one, um, and you, you look at the form lines coming in, uh, Bonacoric uh, won the Cincinnati Masters, um, a hell of a comeback from where he was last year. Um, he was, um, I think he was 12 in the world, shoulder injury, there was a doubt that he'd ever play again. He comes back and has this huge run. He beats Nadal, whole stack of quality players and um, wins his first uh, Masters 1000. And um, now he's into uh, 29 in the world. He's one of the seeds. So it just goes to show how quickly things can change uh, with tennis. And um, 
I just get the feeling right now uh, with the likelihood of Djokovic being sidelined that um, we're going to be looking at a, a, a fresh champion in a couple of weeks' time. And on the women's side, probably too, not too much different in as much as it's very open. And we saw uh, in Cincinnati, uh, well, a blast from the past, Caroline Garcia, who was, uh, you know, all her age a couple of years ago, but she seems to have sort of dropped, dropped off the scene a little bit, uh, Leo. Why was that? And uh, good to see her back. A number of issues for her as well. So it's, it's just, um, I guess, looking in from the outside, the health of an athlete, um, you, you see them out there competing and you wonder why exactly. And could, it could only be like 1% or 2% off or even less than that, and they're uncompetitive. And um, Garcia, as we famously know, was um, ordained by uh, Andy Murray as a future world number one and um, a very, very talented player um, and a very popular player, fair player, and just hasn't quite delivered on that. I mean, how do you deliver on that? I mean, it's it's the, only the freaks get to world number one and win grand slams. And um, we might see that that rebirth of her right now. Um, a big win uh, by her to beat Petra Kvitova, who's mm. in the the throes of a comeback of her own. Um, and we know what happened to her. So unfortunate, the off court incident that almost cost her her career and possibly a lot more. Um, and to see her come back and play that semi final with her and Maddie Keys, that was. Um, for me, fantastic tennis. And, um, yeah, on the women's side, uh, I think going into Wimbledon uh, with Ash Barty sidelined um, with, in retirement, that even with the Iga Swantek there, that the call went up really really early that um, people were saying, well, Swantek is, you know, she is the uh, overwhelming favourite. Uh, but people were saying, no, um, this, this is going to be a, a tournament where someone comes from the clouds and... Um, you know, so it happened with Rybakina. So mm. I think the US Open will be the same as we, um, we looks like. We, we're farewelling Serena Williams from a, her last Grand Slam. Schwantek is the $3.50 favourite with Tab, Simona Halep at 8. They're the only players in single, single figures. Rybakina is at 12. Naomi Osaka, 13. Now, I think, Leo, a lot of us expected once Osaka got back on the hard courts in the States that she, her form would return, but she seems far from, from being happy or settled at the moment. Yeah, that's exactly right. She seems to be... The happiest I saw her um, from just watching tennis was when she went out to um, uh, support Serena Williams in the stands uh, when uh, she played against uh, Emma uh, Raducanu. Um, and, you know, she had a huge smile on the face. And that was a, a healthy sign. Um, she just needs to get her stuff together because she is so mercurial. I'm not sure if she can flick the switch in the way that she did two or three years ago when she had a couple of first-round losses and then came out and won the US Open. This this appears um, to be a different situation. And um, I guess more positively, um, what we saw from Raducanu um, when she she beat Serena Williams with a, a six-love set and then she, in the very next match against uh, Victoria Azarenka, another f uh, former world number one, she won that set, a first set six-love as well. So you, you put that together and you can see the influence that her new coach, Dimitri uh, Tursunov, is already having. So... If, if Emma Raducanu with these new balls or these different balls that are causing so much controversy amongst the women at the US Open, if she can manage to get her act together, um, she is someone who's right there as well. And uh, Serena Williams, I suppose, showing that uh, time stops for no one. Uh, her attempt to sort of get back and play a, a very good last US Open, uh, it, it's looking like it's going to be very difficult for her to get past the first week. Yeah, I agree. It will be. Um, just hasn't been able to play enough tennis, and that's understandable given the commitment she's got off the court. Um, and you're right, time waits for nobody. And um, 
you know, she had those chances in, in big finals to get up and uh, to reach Margaret Court's record and possibly go past it. And we saw at Wimbledon uh, only a month or so ago, uh, losing to Harmony Tan. Um, and then more recently in some of the results in North America, uh, where it's, there are glimpses of the old Serena, but it's just not that sustained force that made her such a brilliant champion. Leo, if we turn our attention now to the turf, uh, Greg Carpenter joined us this time last week. We asked him, are there any Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds that he fears? He picked Deauville Legends, and I'm not fearing yet. I don't think he's beaten the handicapper just yet, but I'm going to be interested to see how Deauville Legend goes in York. Won the race there. It's gone from 18 into $11 favourite with Tab, as far as the Melbourne Cup is concerned. I think um, the fact he's a gelding and making him ineligible for the St Ledger has really worked in um, uh, Victoria's favour here because uh, the horse is definitely going down. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, form line that he's got and, like, he seems to be the, the right kind of profile. And for Greg has made a habit of uh, identifying these likely horses and you go through horses such as Rekindling, etc., who come down and, and done so well in Australia and Doville Legend, he, he seems to have the same kind of profile about him. And there's no surprise there's been market support. Um, his trainer, uh, James Ferguson, um, was uh, delighted with the win and, and immediately said, right, this is where we're going. So, um, uh, And now um, Grace Forbes has inspected the horse and uh, he's been given the all-clear to travel to Australia. So right now, it's all systems go for Deauville Legend. And a horse going the other way from south to north was the former winner, um, Very Elegant, which ran on the weekend. And I saw someone write that it was a consistent run. It jumped last, settled last and finished last. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see anything in the run there, Leo, to give you hope that uh, there'll be a uh, second uh, wind coming uh, over in a European campaign? Um, look, it, the, the thing with Deauville this year especially is that unless you're on the speed, it seems like the hold-up runners have no hope at all. And when you factor in that they covered the 2,000 metres in uh, two minutes and eight seconds, um, which is well outside of standard. Uh, it was just virtually impossible for any horse to make ground. And uh, the trainer said the horse was rusty going in and uh, they'll know a lot more about her. Uh, she goes to a group one over 2,400 metres on September the 11th. And that will be, um, in his words, D-Day for very elegant um, in terms of the arc and maybe beyond. But... Um, it was just impossible for horses to make ground, and especially the way that race was run. She virtually had no hope uh, the way that it panned out for her. As you can imagine, uh, yeah, a lot of Aussie punters are blaming Frankie de Tori. He's, he's, not, he's not Australia's favourite jockey, is he, Leah? <laughs> no. uh, I think a lot of people still remember him, uh, the Max Dynamite ride, when he basically flattened half the field and uh, got a huge uh, fine and uh, the Prince of Penzance Melbourne Cup year. And uh, he's had a few, and, like, he's... Keeps on being legged up on uh, short price horses in the Melbourne Cup uh, a lot of the time for Lloyd Williams and just hasn't been able to get the job done. And we saw recently that um, he uh, he had his issues with the Gosden stable, but he's, he's back in the good books with them again now. So uh, who knows uh, what Frankie will do if he, he heads back down to Melbourne again. But um, he's certainly one of those uh, polarising figures in racing and always has been and always will be. And uh, we made mention there of Greg Carpenter. This, of course, is his last Melbourne Cup, his last spring carnival as the chief handicapper there for Melbourne Racing. He's, he's heading your way, Leo. He's off to Hong Kong at the end of the year. He is. Um, he's coming up uh, to take up a senior role. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a feather in his cap. And also to Australian Racing that um, of all uh, the people in the world that uh, 
might have been considered for such a position that, that Greg um, got it. So um, he's obviously, you know, hugely respected within the industry and, um, you know, he's, it's, a, it's an ambition of his to, to work up in, in Hong Kong and the same with uh, Mark Van Gestel was heading up as well. So yet another Australian in the ranks and um, you look at the stewarding panel, um, Kim Kelly's an Australian has been running it for a long time now. Terry Bailey's his 2IC, Jared Bush is there. Um, there's a whole stack of them and um, lots of vets up there also from Australia. So um, another Aussie up there to talk about football or um, <laughs> any of the, the codes and, uh, to, and, and to talk about Ashes cricket or tennis or whatever. So it's, it's always entertaining when the Aussies are around. I think, though, Leo, what you said, though, it shows how racing in Australia is looked upon by those in Hong Kong, that the fact that they go after, you, you included, uh, yeah, all the Australians involved with racing here. Yeah, and it's it's like, um, you know, it's um, Australian racing is so well regarded, in, especially in terms of the integrity side of things. And um, with Greg coming up, he's bringing uh, that handicapping expertise, his knowledge of world racing as well. Um, and when it comes to Hong Kong and um, when they see, you know, the, the, to look to stage the the uh, World uh, Championships on Turf in the December meeting, the Longines meeting, that's when um, guys like Greg bring so much to the table and um, it's, uh, it's a big, big role he's coming up to do and uh, there's every confidence that he'll do it as well as his, uh, the, the way that he's carried out his, his current role at uh, Racing Victoria. Leo, when you join us next week, we'll be into the US Open, into the first couple of rounds. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we've got a couple of Aussies that go through. We were pretty good at Wimbledon this year, obviously, Nick getting there to the final, but we had a uh, a few players go there through into uh, to late in the first week, early in the second week, so let's hope we can have the same there in the US. Yeah, Jason Kubler, Isla Tomlanovic uh, had big runs, and uh, Tanasi Kokonakis is playing really, really well, got mm. beaten by James Duckworth in a, in a tough three-setter in Winston-Salem. Uh, Johnny Millman's back over there. We've got nine players in qualifying. Um, it'd be great if uh, Nick could pull out one more big tournament. I think he's running on fumes at the moment, but um, just in this, the way these conditions are in the US Open, if, if one of them can get their teeth into it and go deep into the second week, that'd be a fantastic result. Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure. Chat next week, mate. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew. There he is, Leo Schling, joining us to talk tennis and other things, including horse racing.